something that I am dying to do, and I know all of you are, is go hunting for Bigfoot. For Bigfoot. I'm not, I, I have no desire to go normal hunting, but if I could go searching for Sasquatch, oh, it would bring so much joy to me. So if anybody wants to go, look me up on LinkedIn. Like, let's make it happen. I want to go. Uh, but to find, what I find more fascinating than the belief of a wilderness yeti are those who believe in it. See, Sasquatch Chronicles, a blog I follow, reports countless people. It reports countless people of lives that revolve around a hunt for Bigfoot. Yet, at the same time, yet, they're not sure what it looks like. Um, They're not sure exactly where this creature is at. And they've never experienced uh, an encounter once in their life. Um, but does that stop them from hitting the trails and, and you know, the pursuit of the unknown? <laughs> Heavens no. They do it. Now, what's my point? What's my point? My, you guys didn't come here to hear my theories on Bigfoot. Although after the gathering, we could hang out. But my point is this. I find the belief in Sasquatch or Sasquatch hunting has some strong similarities with the concept of community. Now, I am looking forward to discussing community with this community. Tonight's topic is something that just burns in my bones. And it's funny, though, because community is a word, it's a theory, it's an experience that everybody is hunting for, though few have seen it. Everybody is searching for it, though few have experienced it. It's a word that I believe is used and abused. It's a Christian buzzword. It's an overused word. It's a junk drawer term that is quickly becoming part of Christianese, uh, you know, a Christianese glossary to describe what? To describe what? Community as an event? Community as a meal? Community as a campaign for most of us, it's just be sort of beyond us. Yet, we hunt for it. See, I as a pastor am approached, dare I say weekly, hearing the words, I'm looking for community. I'm hunting for community. I need community. I'm really wanting something about community. Can you get me plugged in community? Community, community, community. Now, before we get too far into this talk, uh, let, me just, let me just affirm that a community is extremely beautiful and a wonderful desire to have, to, be, to want to be part of community. And this isn't just true for Christians. There are people here who don't believe in the Bible or who don't follow Jesus. You too recognize your embedded human appetite for affection, for closeness. And Christians, as Christians, we would understand that this is part of our what? This is part of our creation, that we were sculpted, And we were built for affinity, for commonality, for one another. Now think about this. This is pertinent for us to grasp the value, the colossal value of community. Get this, because this is rad. That's the only thing in creation that wasn't good. You know what it is? The only thing that wasn't good, that man was alone. So God brought woman and desired for the human race to flourish in divine personhood, in community. See, much like the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who are in perpetual 
community. The Christian faith has a God who is social, not solitary. So a life of loneliness or the hermit life is not humanity's purpose, as enticing as it may sound. Uh, Norman uh, Cousins, a peace advocate and a prolific journalist, says this. The eternal quest for the individual human being is to shatter his loneliness. See, we crave, and more than that, we hunt for community, even though we have not fully yet understood it or know exactly what it is. It's it's that Yeti-like pursuit. Because we are people who love to share We love to share in joy and misery, and misery loves company. We want to experience things together with people. Nobody wants to go to Magic Mountain alone, right? Maybe? I don't know. They build the rides for two. We want to save our moments with one another. We want to save our meals and mysteries with others. And even as this is humanity's intrinsic desire, those who dwell within urban villages where millions reside, like L.A., we feel an even greater longing uh, and need for community, right? Am I alone in that? I think it's safe to assume that many of us don't have family here in Los Angeles. And many of us have moved here from all over the country from much smaller, smaller cities. And even if we find some sort, think about this, even if we find some sort of artistic connectedness, we find some sort of film community or surf community or music connectedness or cause mission connectedness in Los Angeles. Even if we find that, then we find, you know, soon discover that you're in Pasadena. That ain't happening. Like, you want me to drive to Los Feliz to be a part of this community? I'll follow you on Instagram. Maybe. Like, you know... So for the majority, so for the majority that move to our great city, they have come here in hopes of, of glamorous, huge things. Thus, the majority of priorities within our surroundings, with our people and our city, is career-oriented, not community-oriented. But unless, though, that connectedness can benefit us, right? Unless that potential community can benefit us then all of a sudden friendships become what? Investments. It's the feeling that so many have here of of ulterior motives, that there's no safe people. Los Angeles kind of shows us that networking is the new human connection, which then turns Los Angeles, it turns the west side into the wood chipper that it is, where so many hopes and dreams and friendships and community are shredded by the city the size of the city and the culture of the city. But nonetheless, Christian or not Christian, every single one of us here tonight search and hunt for the Sasquatch of meaningful connection, meaningful relationships, meaningful common, commonality, and meaningful community. We all want something like what we read tonight. We all want something like we read tonight. Now, if anyone here has spent some time reading the Bible or if you've been with us as our, you know, through our pilgrimage through the book of Acts, you perhaps recognize small snippets here and there of the early Jesus church community and witnessed these amazing descriptions of how this community operated and acted. Words like, those who believed were of one heart and soul. There was not a needy person among them. We read words like that. There's not a needy person 
among them. They had everything in common. See, we read words like that, and we start pounding the Bible and say, by golly, that's it. We read words like that and say, that's what we want. That's community. That's Bigfoot. See, whatever true community is, we can look at these verses and go, they found it. They found it. Because if we're honest, these verses sound radical, right? And kind of impossible. But it sounds radical. Is it fair to say that everybody that is in search of community is wanting the description of Acts 4? Those here who are part of this church, do you not, do, don't you want this for collective? Do you want this for our community here? I, as a pastor, would love these words to describe this church. See, these verses make this early church with pastors Peter and John sound awesome. These, these buildings are shaking after prayer meetings. Everyone's selling their stuff and giving it to the poor and the needy. That sounds amazing. This church is perfect. They've got it together, it seems. They are the example to follow, it would seem. Right? So it makes sense that why there are blogs after blogs and preachers after preachers saying the words, we need to be like the early church. There's post after post saying, if only we were like the early church. It's this sort of odd nostalgia or this romanticized view. But here's the thing. I don't think I'm shocking anybody, but we're not the early church. We'll never be the early church. We'll never have a Pentecost or an ascension, and I highly doubt we'll ever experience their opposition and persecution. They, like us, were far from being a perfect church. Luke, the author of Acts, is not illustrating their perfection or them as perfection or that they had it all together. It was, I mean, if Luke was doing that, then our verses for the following week, if you guys are familiar with Acts 5, the story of Ananias and Sapphira, familiar with that story? Where you be lying, you be dying? If he was trying to do that, he would have left those verses out. If the New Testament was trying to paint this beautiful picture that the early church is perfect, have you guys read the Corinthian letters? There's nasty crap going down in there. They're not trying to show that the early church was perfect. So then what we have before us, Acts 32 through 30, excuse me, Acts 4, 32 through 37, is not this, this cookbook filled with recipes of how to, you know, how to bake a faultless church. This isn't how to flambe, you know, a foolproof, generous community. This is a this is much, 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 much greater than that. You see, if we want this type of community, it doesn't start with us asking questions. Okay, so just be more generous. Is that what you want? I just have to be more generous? It doesn't start with us asking questions. How do I have this community in Acts 4? It it doesn't start with us asking the questions of, so I just need to find people in common? Is that true community? Is finding people who have similar interests? No, actually it starts with asking the question, with us individually asking the question, who am I? It starts with us asking the question, who am I? I hope that everyone sees we're not, we're not as a church and I'm not as a pastor advocating for community just for community's sake. 
because that's what Western evangelical churches do. They have messages about community. We have events about community. This isn't a talk about you selling all of your things. This isn't a talk or an appeal about how everybody better have everything in common. You all better like sushi and Chris Stapleton. Like we all have to have everything in common. It's actually the realization that this community in Acts 4, which is so far from perfect, is a group of unworthy people who are partaking of something otherworldly. The group of misfits and rejects can actually have, look what it says. Look what a group of misfits and rejects can actually have. Look at verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Let's just hold the phone just for a minute. Let's rabbit trail this just for a second or two. The full number of those. So from Acts chapter 1, where we had 12 minus 1, then to 120, then to 3,000, and then last week we saw that they counted 5,000 men. So that means commentators and historians believe that the full number at this time Full number at this time in Acts chapter 4 is somewhere between 15 to 20,000 Jesus followers. 15 to 20,000 men and women who are of one heart and one soul. There's a lot of us who hate big churches. I mean, could you imagine? I don't want a big church, I want a small church. It's 15 to 20,000 people. So a group of thousands of misfits and rejects, the elite and the respected, all coming together to have one heart and one soul. Meaning that the way they viewed one another, heart and soul, that the way they viewed one another was far greater than just thousands of people being generous. Was far greater of just going to some small group Bible study. They viewed one another as a part of who they were. Created for each other better together, family, an actual physical body. Everything we read and witnessed tonight is not community. It's the fruit and the byproduct and the effect of community, heart and soul style. The fruit of imperfect men and women who have asked the question and know the answer, who am I? Who was I created to be with? Get this, community is fundamentally about our identity, about belonging before doing. So for the hunters searching and desiring to set their crosshairs on the elusive Sasquatch of community, but are unable to find it, it could be that you're actually setting your sights on merely the fruit of community and missing the identity piece of community as a crucible uh, component. Author and pastor uh, Tim Chester wrote these words. By becoming a Christian, I belong to God and I belong to my brothers and sisters. It is not that I belong to God and then I make a decision to join a local church. My being in Christ means being in Christ with those others who are in Christ. This is my identity. This is our identity. For those here tonight who who may not follow Jesus, first, welcome, pumped you're here. Second, 
this communal identity makes sense, right? I think this makes sense. I can only assume that yours, like my social media handles, define who you are, or our getting acquainted conversations are most often filled with our network of relationships in which all of us live. I am a father. I am a mother. I am a wife. I am a husband. I belong here. I am a member here. I'm a Christian. I'm whatever. There's this great old South African proverb which says it awesomely. It says, a person is a person through persons. A person is a person through persons. Again, this identity piece, as true as it may be, has been greatly lost in our everyday. It splits the framework of what we've worked so hard to try to make ourselves into. No one identifies my identity but me. Right? That's the fight. Nobody identifies my identity but me. See, it runs counterculture to everything in our culture. And it runs counterculture to everything. Think about this. Disney has taught us. Think about this. I'm blown away watching Disney movies. Uh, you, guys know what, you guys know what I'm talking about. Think about Elsa or Jasmine or Belle or Ariel. Don't act like you guys haven't seen. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Mulan, Merida. Each one of them dripping this individualistic toxin within our hearts and soul and mind. And don't get me wrong, I love Disney as much as a 31-year-old man can. Probably too much. My kids are learning that the only thing that identifies us is what you say identifies you. No one else. Nobody else. Basically, L.A. says, find yourself. Where God says, I found you. Culture says, be yourself despite others. God says, be yourself for others with others as a new creation. Disney says, make yourself. God says, I formed you after my image. I breathe life into you. Your flesh says, go at it alone. God says, go at it with others in the name of Jesus. Your gut says, community is a goal to be retrieved. Christians, God shows us that community is a gift to be received. See, friends, whether we know this or not, and if you're here and you don't follow Jesus or know much about the Christian faith, truth is Christianity is mainly, mainly communal. Christianity is mainly communal. It is a communal gift, which means the church, the community of God, the society of God, is part of Christianity's very essence. For those of you here who are on the fringes of this church or any church, hear me, hear me. That is not what God wants for you. That's a half life. Uh, My BFF author and pastor, Eugene Peterson, actually, he doesn't know me, but anyway. (laughs) He actually says that without community, without the church, we're incomplete. He says this. He goes, there can be no maturity in the spiritual life, no obedience in following Jesus, no wholeness in the Christian life apart from an immersion in an embrace of community. And then this is bleh, so good. I am not myself by myself. Is it on the screen? Oh, thank the Lord. I am not myself by myself. Good job. 
And again, for those who are resistant, hear me out, for those who are resistant to the bride of Christ, the family of God, that is the church, this community, for those who have had horrible experiences with a community that is the church, maybe even this church, you could still be thinking, well, if the church was like Acts 4, I wouldn't have an issue. There'd be a different story. Let's remember that the beauty of this narrative in Acts 4 is that we see amazing fruit because of the Spirit God moving in and through their blemishes and faults. If the church has hurt you, that means a person has hurt, has hurt you. And that sucks. Um, sadly, this is what we do, right? What we do is we hurt people and hurt people than hurt people. If you've ever been um, part of a community where you didn't get hurt or bothered or flustered or offended in some way, then dare I say you weren't fully in that community. See, the closer we are called to be together, the more difficult, the more difficult, the more challenging it becomes. Is there anyone here who hasn't had, think about it, is there anybody here who hasn't had a difference with their sibling or their spouse? It's just me. Right? I mean, I, we, we fight all the time or whatever it is. The closer we call to be together, the more difficult it becomes. A church, this church, us right now, me, Lorenzo, everybody saw on stage, is full of fractured people. Fractured people. So many of us have been here, I mean, think about this. So many of us have been here from the start from like the genesis of when this church plant started, um, and you've experienced or you've seen already the fracturedness of this church. And you've seen already that the church is really just about people. If you guys remember from the beginning of our time together, I mean, we've realized in the core of who we are in our bellies that developing a band or getting our Squarespace on or 501c3 or renting a venue or buying Cheerios for kids ministry. And if we look at, our verses again, we take all that and we look at our verses again, we see nothing of that sort mentioned in these verses. Exactly. Because none of that constitutes a church or a community. Sure, that stuff is helpful and very much a part of our culture. But the community of God, the community every member of the human race wants and, and, and hunts for, and the community that every follower of Jesus is firmly put in is not a place where, but a people who. It's not an event happening, but a people who. It's not just some church service with red chairs and green walls, but a people who. The church is not a service with music and kids ministry, but a people who. You and her and you and him and me and you and us and those amazing kids across the way. You see, out of the hundreds of things Jesus could have employed to reach the world, Thousands of things Jesus could have employed to reach the world. A flock of seagulls, a campaign, or whatever it is. Jesus chose what? He formed a church community. He formed us. Now, the cultural guru and author, Leslie Newbegin, he says it way better. He says, evangelistic campaigns distribution of Bible and Christian literature, conferences are all secondary. And they have power to accomplish their person, or excuse me, their purpose, only as they are rooted in 
and lead back to a believing community. Jesus did not write a book, but formed a community. This has been God's plan from the beginning. This has been God's plan from the beginning. I love, whenever we get to sit and meet with people, I love hearing Lorenzo just sort of spout it off, and he goes, this is is plan A, there is no plan B. Our community and the surrounding communities around us, the ones that we just got done praying for, this is plan A. This is plan A. To have a group of men and women committed to the good of one another, to love our neighbor, to care for one another. This was God's plan from the beginning. Look at this. See if these words from the Old Testament, the book Deuteronomy, see if these sound familiar. But there will be no poor among you, for the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance to possess. To me, it sounds like our verse 34 out of Acts chapter 4 is an echo of Deuteronomy 15. Look at verse 34. There was not a needy person among them. It has been a plan from the beginning where God established community, that their commitment to one another would be of grace and generosity and unity and self-sacrifice. And now, by the way of Holy Spirit, it happens now by way of Holy Spirit. Acts chapter four, by way of Holy Spirit, God is demonstrating, God is demonstrating what he has always wanted for his people. Now, before we go much further, I think we got to address the elephant in these verses. Look at verse 34 again. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds that, of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus. So just so we know, Barnabas is going to be coming up later. He has a huge role with an axe. But his intro here is something quite significant. He's an outstanding model, and he loves the church. He loves the community of Jesus followers so much so. Look what he does in verse 37. Barnabas sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. See, the elephant in these verses leaves us in 2016 on the west side asking, in order to be Christian, in order to be part of an outrageously wonderful, wild community of God, do we have to sell all that we have? because I just got a PlayStation or whatever it is. Do I have to sell it? This is where our series through Acts being titled Archetypes is very, very helpful. Because when one roams the paths and streets of the Bible and we come to a narrative, we must be mindful of what's being told of and what's being told to do. Prescriptive versus descriptive. We have a description of what these individuals were doing. Hear me. These verses are not a command to sell and sign over all of your stuff. I don't think our landlord would be pumped if my wife and I put a sign out in Culver City saying, for sale for Jesus. And he, I don't think he would be excited for us. Luke, our author of Acts, is not pressing upon you, upon his readers, communism. Everybody owns everything. He is not pressing upon us to liquefy all of our assets and get rid of it, and that car is my car, blah, blah, blah. That is not what happened here. Barnabas 
the others wealthy enough in their community to actually own land voluntarily, voluntarily, just one more time, voluntarily did this wonderful thing for one another. But what is, now hear me, but what is glowing here? The archetype here, that being the truth or message that transcends time or generation or race or gender, it's we to be a part of a community that is what? We to be part of a community that's deeper than generosity. We to be part of a community, it does not happen without sacrifice. We are to be a part of a community of love. Seems out of place, right? You thought I was going to say something else? Seems a little out of place. That's the archetype here in Acts 4, 32 through 37. We are a community of love. Now, it sounds like I should be passing out tie-dye shirts and daisies and, you know, whatever. But hear me out. If we want a community with the fruit of generosity and self-sacrifice, a community to the fact where nobody has need, then we are to face our direction towards love, towards charity. The great Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it like this, a person who loves their dream of community will destroy community, but the person who loves those around them will create community. Jesus said his followers, his community of people, will be recognized by their what? Their sweet leather jackets? To be recognized by their love. The person who loves their dream of community will destroy community, but the person who loves those around them will create community. What are your dreams of community? Even if you don't follow Jesus, I mean, what is your dream community? For those who consider this church, you know, um, our community, our home, what are your expectations of this community? Everybody has them. Even I have them. I wish collective church, community, you know, was more younger, older. I wish there was more marrieds. I wish there was more singles. I wish there was more families. I wish there was less kids. I wish there was better music. I wish there was better preaching. I want this role. I, you know, I, I hate these lights. I wish it had this. I wish it had that. See, what's beautiful about a community of Jesus followers is that our preferences can reside, but they can't reign. Within a community, we can have preferences reside within us, but they can't reign. Especially, and I know, I'm going to get in a lot of trouble for saying this. Lorenzo's going to, whatever, we're good. But I'm going to say this. If you are not ready in this church, hear me, friends. If you're not ready in this church to be a part of the solution of what our community lacks, then complaints and emails and conversations do more damage than good. But if we're approached and we say, or, you know, and I hear, or we hear, this isn't going so hot. I love to serve and volunteer in that area. That's what I'm talking about. That's, yes. But if we hear, this is no bueno. And then they do this. 
see, to excavate Acts 4, we see every walk of life from rich to poor, from brilliant to the uneducated, from men and women, all participating with one heart and soul. Everything in common. There's no one preference of demographic or thing. There's no one preference. They look around and for the, everything's celebrated, which I would encourage for us. Next time our eyes wander within our small little community here in the West Side, next time our eyes wander, I would encourage us not to see what we lack, but celebrate what God has brought together as a community. This is something we should celebrate. Natural enemies, uh, misfits, these unalikes of one heart and soul in this room. That's, that was beautiful. Again, so what's beautiful about a community of Jesus followers is that preferences can reside, but they can't reign. What reigns is Jesus. See, as every community forms around something, the community of the church revolves around the person and work and birth and life and death and resurrection and gospel and good news of Jesus Christ. Our community can be one where we love the different, the outcast, the unalike, our enemies, because of who has loved us to the point of torture and execution for those who despised him. We can forgive in this community. I hope we are a forgiving community. Now, I'm speaking to myself here. I struggle with forgiveness all the time. I, I, I hold grudges all day. But we can forgive because we have been forgiven for far more worse things. We give generously. We can be a community that gives generously of our finances, of our home, of our time to others because God has so generously given so much to us, especially in his son, Jesus. See, an individual and a collective community that has been rocked by the truth of Jesus has a bank account to prove it. We can bring others in. We can invite others in to be part of the most rewarding relationship in the human realm because we have been invited in through Jesus, through the work of Jesus, to commune with God. We can commit to those around us despite age and race and gender or weirdness level because Jesus, to the point of death, with each nail solidifying but pushing his limbs in to show the commitment level that he is committed to you or to me despite our age, our race, our gender, our fallibilities, our weirdness awkward level. Man. But again, even just saying that, I mean, that sounds exhausting, right? <laughs> Community sounds exhausting and, again, impossible. Yes, because in and of ourselves, there is no way Acts 4 could exist for them or for us. But when the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, dwells in the midst of us, you guys remember when we were in Acts 2, dwells in the midst of us of a group of people who have been radically awakened, like verse 33 says. Look at verse 33. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And great grace was upon them all. As one sees the resurrection as the defining gold crown of their faith as being done for them individually, it causes a seismic shift in who we are collectively. That there's great grace upon us. 
that love is set ablaze in the kindling to love those around us or who are in our life, to commit to those who are in our life, whether they are like us or whether we like them or not. Again, let's just be honest for a moment. That ain't easy. It is so easy for a teacher, a Bible teacher to get up in here, like those who are different than you. That's tough. It ain't easy. There's people in every community, but especially a Jesus-following community that we will just not get along with, right? She smells like patchouli oil, or his stories are too long, or they're not their best at disciplining kids. I don't want to be around their kids, or she tries too hard, or he doesn't try hard enough. Too introverted, too extroverted. Now, I joke, but we know it's true. Because again, how easy is it to just peace out? This type of committed community is, is, is so, so tough. Especially, I mean, again, just especially for me, especially for people who hurt others or people who've hurt me or my family. It's so easy just to cut people out. It's so easy to cut people out. Like an ex-boyfriend with a pair of scissors to all these pictures of his girlfriend. <laughs> to not let anybody close, to operate as if our time together never existed. I can so easily deny contact. I can so easily play victim cards. I can justify anything. And yet, more often than not, those who unintentionally hurt me or do something foolish or whatever, those are the ones that God uses as a piece of sandpaper to my very splintered character. Parker J. Palmer, who I'm assuming some of you have heard of, he's an author that reminds us that our commitment is to companions who unsettle us. He says this, In true community, we will not choose our companions, for our choices are so often limited by self-serving motives. Right? Guilty. Instead, our companions will be given to us by grace... Often they will be persons who will upset our settled view of self and world. In fact, we might define true community as the place where the person you least want to live with lives. That is a disgustingly truthful quote. That's, yeah. I was thinking the other day, even just as I was growing up and just having such this image of community in my mind. Because you know who I think models true community, using Palmer's words? You know who I think models true communities or who allows community to have warts and all? A community that gives allowance to people to, to allow their unsettled view. You know who I think models this well? Our friends. Chandler, Joey, Ross, Monica, Phoebes, and Rachel. Right? If you do not... You guys are not, everybody wants to be one of their friends or all their friends. See, if you're not sure what I'm talking about here, I'm referring to the hit show that ran from 1994 to 2004. It's called Friends. But hear me out. It's a story about six people who are committed to one another in community. This is, despite their preference, their expectations, their messiness, or who was on a break or not on a break, I watched... I watched an episode the other day, and hear me, this is, I'm going to get to my point. It's a stupid illustration, but I'm going to get to my point. Where Phoebe is calling out Chandler to change something about his character. But because he knows Phoebe loves her, he allows it. And that she is after his good, 
She allows it. He allows it. And Phoebe felt safe enough to tell him that, he, that he's not going to peace out or leave the minute she's done helping him or caring for him or being truthful to him. See, it was a model of community. It was a model of community and love and sacrifice uh, of commitment. Stupid illustration, but bear with me. See, those who are opposed to Christianity, hear me out, those who are opposed to Christianity or those who don't follow Jesus or those who are unsure about where they stand on all of this, all of your community that you are seeking will meet certain needs here and there. But none will satisfy. Because that very longing that you have for, for more was placed there by God himself. And he is the fulfillment of your yearning. See, I hope that's realized. I really hope that's realized. And again, buzzword alert. Um, I hope that's realized that that comes into fruition in gospel core, gospel-centered community. I hope you see exposed in all the churches that say they preach Jesus or they love Jesus or they make much of Jesus. I hope you see a community. I hope you see a community of generosity, of giving, of unity, of charity, of love. They, us, them in Acts, exposing not what they value, but who they value. We're a people who commit ourselves to God and in that commitment we'll find ourselves drawn into an even greater relationship with those around us. See, church, to value God supremely, to be communally identified by what he has done, has evidence in our relationships here and now. Please let that sink in. It has evidence. If we believe it, there's evidence of in our life with our relationships and our identity and our community. One of the greatest declarations that there is a God is by our community. I'll use Lorenzo's word. One of the ways that we could be a lighthouse and shine bright on the west side and navigate those who are lost to safety is by this community of people. One of the boldest claims of God's love for us is our Christ-like love for one another. Right? Again, that's what Jesus said. They're going to know who you are. They're going to know you follow me by the way you love Get this, we see no mention of this in Acts 4, and this strikes us I mean, like an uppercut in the teeth. The people, it's people giving, they're giving love, they're not giving loans. I want us to get this as a community here on the West Side. It's people giving love, not giving loans. There was no signing of contracts or interest or expectation of payback. Do you guys want to, let's, let's do a quick little assessment here, a little personal self-examination of how we view community how we are in our community, ask yourself this very question. Do you love with expectation of return? And some of you might be saying, yeah, I love all the time. Well, possibly, yeah, maybe, or you're loving, and that's, that's, that's more of a, I already said it, that's an investment. Do you love without expectation of return? You see, love uh, gives sin or our flesh takes. Love contributes in community. Our flesh consumes community. Church, are we ready to love with zero expectation of getting anything back? Zero expectation. I hope, I hope that marks us 
May that mark our neighborhood groups. May that mark our offices, our classrooms, our workspaces, our block, our homes, to be ready to give with nothing, the expectation of nothing in return. May our community love with non-transactional motives. May our joy, may our community be joy-filled because we value Christ and what he's done for us with such esteem. I want Collective Church, we want Collective Church to be a community that gives and commits and forgives and serves and sacrifices to each and every individual in this room. That is what our heart is for, for this church, for this community. Are we ready to do that? Are we ready to be marked by love? Are we ready to give to one another? Let's do this now. Let's, let's pray.